episode 51 for the week ending May 5, 2017, the Cinco de Mayo edition. Over some breakfast tacos and Mexican coffee, Jay and I have a wide-ranging discussion over some of the week's top compliance and FCPA-related stories. We discuss the (coughs) article in the FCPA blog on why due diligence investigations still need the human element. We discuss the rationales for anti-corruption legislation, including the FCPA and how Uganda is now considered a defense, excuse me, demand-side response to corruption. We discuss Kara Brockmeyer's moving to Double Boys and Plimpton in the private sector. We take a look at an article by James Stewart in the uh, Common Sense column in the New York Times about what has been the fate of whistleblowers at Wells Fargo. We discuss the Astros' lead leading uh, team this year. That's uh, American League leading record in baseball. And discuss the NBA playoffs, considering what Tony Parker's injuries might mean for the Spurs-Rockets playoff series. We uh, talk about the Financial Reporting Council investigation of KPMG over its audits for the Rolls-Royce Um audit and uh, the firm's failures to detect bribes paid by the company. We also discuss the Compliance Week 2017 conference that I'll be uh, moderating a panel and speaking at. Listeners of this podcast can receive a discount to Compliance Week 2017, uh, and I will link to that uh, discount code in the show notes. This is Tom Fox. Thank you very much for listening to this week in FCPA. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. I'm the Compliance Evangelist, and I would like to welcome you to This Week in FCPA, Episode 51 for the week ending May 5, 2017, the Cinco de Mayo edition. As always, I'm joined by my cohort and co-host, Mr. Monitors himself, Jay Rosen. Jay, welcome. Thank you, Tom. Buenos dias. It's uh... 7 o'clock here in Los Angeles and 9 o'clock in Houston as we're taping this morning. And uh, thanks for joining us. Take a look at this week at FCPA. Well, Jay, we had, a, I thought, a pretty interesting week. Uh, lots of different things uh, kind of came up. So maybe we can just uh, set aside our breakfast tacos and Mexican coffee and dive right into it. Um, I'd like to uh, start off with... Um, Kara Brockmeyer, our uh, friend from the uh, former, uh, formerly heading the uh, SEC's FCPA unit, she announced she is going to the uh, law firm Devil Boys and Plimpton in Washington. Uh, a great move for the firm to uh, bring Kara on board. But there was one thing I really wanted to highlight, other than uh, where she landed for our listeners, Jay, and it said in the um, article by Dick Casson in the FCPA blog that she will be a member of the White Collar Regulatory Defense and then the Crisis Response Group. And I found that last uh, component quite interesting, Jay. Um, Many companies will have a crisis response group. Um, Certainly, uh, you've worked in a a crisis industry, the uh, motion picture industry, so you're probably somewhat familiar with that. But typically, you see that in a corporate setting or a a PR firm, and here we have it within a law firm. So I thought that was uh, really forward-looking to bring her into that and uh, having a law firm who can be part of a crisis response group, I thought uh, is really an innovative technique. Uh, or service, rather, that a law firm can provide, and certainly something that in this day and age um, companies should have. So uh, really, any thoughts on on that part of Kara's move? 
Uh, I, I agree with you, Tom, that it, that it is pretty forward-looking. And, you know, over the years, you and I have spoken about that. You don't want to be blindsided when a crisis comes along. So you should have a short list of folks that you're going to get together. So it's almost part, you know, of a, a business continuity plan. So I applaud uh, Deva Voice for bringing her in. And the other thing I wanted to note is there's a very high uh, SEC alum factor there. Uh, Mary Jo White is there, along with uh, Andrew Ceresny. So um, it's, uh, you know, it's it's kind of like, uh, you know, you watch uh, a coach move around and bring some of his key players with him. So it's, uh, I think it's nice to get uh, a group back together. And I think uh, this hiring of Kara really does strengthen double voice. And um, just to, to plug uh, Compliance Week 2017, uh, at the end of this month, uh, Jay, I am actually moderating um, a two-person panel, which will include Kara, uh, also uh, Ren McEachern from the FBI. And I'm certainly going to add this uh, to my list of questions on the crisis response component of her practice going forward. So if you're going to be at Compliance Week, um, you check out that session. I think we're on Monday afternoon. And uh, for listeners of this podcast, uh, you can receive a discount uh, for the registration fee, which uh, we will link to in the show notes. Jay, from across the pond, we had some interesting news around Rolls-Royce, which, of course, has uh, sustained the largest fine under the UK Bribery Act. But the Financial Reporting Council in the United Kingdom said it is uh, investigating uh, following the uh, SFO announcement of the DPA between um, uh, United, United Kingdom government and Rolls-Royce relating to offenses uh, of conspiracy to corrupt and failure to prevent a bribe. So basically, uh, the auditor, the accounting regulator, rather, in the United Kingdom has uh, opened an investigation into the audits that KPMG did for its longtime client, Rolls-Royce, uh, basically to try to determine why uh, the auditing firm did not uh, come up with information about uh, the bribes and corrupt bribes paid by Rolls-Royce and the and corruption that they engaged in in China, Indonesia, India, Malaysia, Niger, Nigeria, Russia, and Thailand from 1989 to 2013. So that's uh, really an interesting development now when you have the auditing regulators starting to look at the auditors of companies that engaged in truly massive uh, bribery and corruption schemes. Certainly we had... Um, um, that type of scheme in the uh, Odebrecht case. Um, we may have that in uh, we have that in the uh, Avon case. Um, we may have that in uh, other cases that are currently under investigation. And, and one wonders if the PCAOB or other regulatory body here in the United States might uh, begin to take a look at the auditor's roles in uh, failure to uh, detect uh, evidence of bribery and corruption. Uh, I would note that KPMG said in a statement uh, yesterday uh, that it is important regulators acting in the public interest should review high-profile issues. We will cooperate fully with the FRC's investigation, which follows the SFO's investigation into Rolls-Royce. We are confident in the quality of all our audit work we have completed for Rolls-Royce, including the 2010-2013 period, which the FRC is uh, considering. So uh, it's going to be very interesting to see how, how that plays out going forward. Jay, yeah, I, I guess. Go ahead. I, I was just going to say that this um, this is a, a NASA issue that, 
you know, is not a one-off. But I guess the, the one thing to consider is if a company is in there doing audited financials, they're only going to be able to recognize what is being shared with them. So it's it's almost that chicken and the egg thing that, you know, they're in there, um, you know, trying to certify financials. They're not uh, in there trying to root out corruption. So it's, uh, you know, if, if it's sausage in, it's sausage out. So I'm not really sure how much you can expect. In the past, um, I think there have been some whistleblowers that have come from the audit side. So uh, this might be a situation that doesn't argue for deregulation, but I think it might, uh, as you're suggesting, it might actually bring on some more regulation based on how this matter plays out. Uh, Jay, next we had a very interesting article by our friend and colleague Scott Schaefer from the Kreller Group. He's the managing director at the Kreller Group, and he wrote a very interesting blog post in the uh, FCPA blog entitled, Due Diligence Still Needs the Human Element. And I was wondering uh, if you really had any thoughts about this, because I found it to be just a very interesting post. Yeah, uh, Scott and his team at Kreller are wonderful, and uh, uh, this comes back to um, one of the things that you like to quote, uh, trust but verify, and uh, there seems to be such a push to productize due diligence and, and to make it so easy so you can um, – you know, press a button and, and get it on your desk and say, okay, you know, no red flags here, let's move on. And um, Scott makes a very good point that there's only so much you can get from the known databases and from, you know, uh, computer services that at some point, if you need to decide uh, a go or no-go situation, or if you have to decide, do you want to bring this person on as a third party, there is nothing that will take the place of in-person due diligence. And I think it's a, a very eloquent piece. Uh, it's very straightforward, and it really um, you know, paints the perfect uh, case on why you still need uh, to have a human element involved when you're doing due diligence. And that especially is true when you're dealing uh, overseas in uh, countries where we do not really have an understanding of uh, how things work. And by using the, quote, boots on the ground there that Preller has, they are able to really uh, use their subject matter and their country matter expertise to uh, you know, produce superior due diligence results. There was a couple of things that uh, really uh, kind of uh, caught my attention about his article that I wanted to relate to our listeners, Jay. The first one, he said that raw data has limited value if not presented in an easy-to-digest, logical manner following a thorough analysis. Um, then he went on to say, a review may uncover red flags, which require research beyond the original scope of the work. Uh, indeed, red flags which would not be uh, uncovered through an automated process. And really, then leading to uh, what I thought was it seems obvious, but still a good insight to, to uh, recall. To thoroughly research an international partner, local investigative sources must be utilized because of the lack of either database access or even in some cases having a database that you can access 
in places outside the United States. And it really speaks to the, uh, the need to have a trained professional who can look at these uh, issues, look at the information, look at the data, present it to you as the customer or client in a way that allows you to either ask questions and make further inquiry or incorporate it directly into your decision-making calculus um, of your risk ranking. Because um, at the end of the day, it's going to be the res responsibility of the company to accurately assess the risk rank the risk, and then manage that risk. And I think what Scott's telling us is that, uh, yes, you can get lots of good information, and, and we both have worked with and know companies that can provide some automated due diligence that is uh, very useful and very helpful, but it's not going to really get you to the level you need to do, particularly uh, outside the United States, which, of course, is where the FCPA applies to. Um, companies doing business outside the United States to foreign government officials and uh, employees of state-owned enterprises. So, uh, you know, it may sound, uh, if you and I were just somewhere talking about that, you and I just might say, well, well of course that's true. But uh, I really applaud Scott for uh, his blog post and, and reiterating what you said and what you and I really understand to be the situation is you've got to have a trained professional not only looking at this information to assess it, but you've also have, have to have a trained professional to know the questions to ask and then the follow-up questions. So raw data does have value, but you've got to know uh, how to look at it, how to analyze it, and then how to present it uh, to a client who can then uh, make the appropriate risk assessment in, in, in the scope of an overall risk management assessment or, or uh, strategy. So uh, kudos to Scott. Um, this appeared in the FCPA blog uh, this past Wednesday, and we will definitely include the link in our show notes. Uh, Jay, I don't know if uh, you were able to get to, to the New York Times yet today, but um, there was a pretty scathing article by James Stewart in his Common Sense column. Typically, that appears on Saturday, but it appeared today on Friday. And he um, took a look at the Wells Far uh, the Sherman and Sterling report to the board of directors at Wells Fargo on their uh, fraudulent accounts scandal, but he looked at it from the whistleblower uh, perspective, and he um, really the title says it all. They exposed a scandal, but merited just a footnote. Uh, and his reference in the title is literally to that reference. There was a footnote reference in the, uh, I think, 110-page report um, of uh, the whistleblowers' issues. And uh, he, he quoted uh, or cited to uh, Hal Jackson, a professor at the Harvard Law School, which said that that's a red flag in and of itself. And that footnote is buried on page 87, and his concern is whether the whistleblowers were handled properly and to what degree the board responds, uh, bears responsibility for this. Uh, and then he quoted um, Brandon Garrett, of course, who's well-known in the FCPA world, um, author of the book Too Big to Jail, How Prosecutors Compromise with Corporations, who said that to have a systematic pattern of misconduct on this scale, you need to make sure that potential whistleblowers are kept quiet. He went on to say that a bad compliance system is one thing, but if people knew there were problems and were silenced, that's much more serious. Um, James Stewart, in his article, cites uh, people who were silenced and what was the culture that allowed whistleblowers really to be stifled at, at Wells Fargo. He cites a couple of other cases, recent cases, 
where whistleblowers have uh, had the difficulty or the issue has had difficulty. But um, the Wells Fargo case, it I think it's really going to be telling how Sherman and Sterling comes out uh, on this if they whitewash the whistleblowers and say there was no evidence of retaliation. I think it's going to take away from the the really comprehensiveness of their uh, overall report um, going forward. So uh, we'll have to see how that plays out. I'll link to this article. It's in today's New York Times. It's really an excellent review of, of where we might be on uh, whistleblowers going forward. Jay, I'd like to now turn to something that... Uh, struck my eye and, and something I've been thinking about and uh, writing about over the past uh, couple of weeks, and that is the rationale for anti-corruption, anti-bribery laws. Uh, obviously, there um, was uh, a reason that the FCPA was created back in 1977, and uh, Congress laid out the policy goals for the enactment of the FCPA right in the preamble. The first was that uh, pu the public re revelation that at that time in the mid-70s, over 400 U.S. companies had paid over $300 million uh, to bribe foreign governments, public officials, and political parties. These payments were not only unethical but counter to the moral expectations and values of the American public. Second was the revelation that bribery tended to embarrass friendly governments, and that means governments friendly to the U.S., lower the esteem for U.S. citizens of uh, uh, among for the citizens of the U.S. among other nations and lee, lend credence to suspicion sown by foreign opponents of the United States that American enterprises uh, exert a corrupting influence on the political process. Finally, uh, by enacting the FCPA, uh, U.S. companies would be in a better position to resist demands paid to bribes, to pay bribes uh, by corrupt foreign governments, their agents and representatives. Um, this uh, policy goal and rationale, I think, uh, morphed a little bit after 9-11 when terrorism was seen as a natural outgrowth of bribery and corruption and that one of the tools available to the Bush administration to fight terrorism uh, in the wake of 9-11 was the FCPA because of the direct link between corruption leading uh, to crime and then to uh, terrorism. Certainly, um, We've even had evolution since that time, and the um, uh, fact that uh, Trevor McFadden, in uh, one of his speeches last month, uh, said that corruption impedes free competition as it allows companies to provide substandard products and services to be awarded uh, con uh, um, under contracts awarded by foreign governments and state-owned enterprises, and that the real losers of corruption are the citizen of those countries where contracts are awarded based on bribery and corruption, and that uh, bribes actually impede economic growth, undermine democratic values and public economy, accountability, and weaken the rule of law. So economic growth is clearly uh, one of the reasons. I think that uh, robust FCPA enforcement is still in the cards. But what intrigued me was, Jay, we recently had a instance where a foreign government recognized that corruption within its borders was a killer for its own economy, and that country was Uganda. And Uganda's um, pretty well recognized as a uh, high-risk country. It's uh, had a 
score of 25 in the 2016 Transparency International Corruption Perception Index. That brought it in at a robust 151 out of 176 countries listed. Um, and we had the uh, finance minister saying that literally corruption is a killer when it comes to promoting investment and that the company has actually, excuse me, country rather, has moved towards um, reducing uh, corruption. And uh, also uh, they've done this in a, a very, uh, uh, I thought, uh, comprehensive approach is to do away with the Byzantine licensing and registration requirements. So, uh, for instance, uh, what used to take a week excuse me, a month or, or, or uh, three months, rather, to get a license to do business has moved up to uh, literally one week. And uh, to get goods in and out of the country uh, used to take weeks as well. And that's periods moved up. And the problem is when you have long delays and multiple persons who have to approve licenses, registration, imports, exports, you have uh, potential for lots of people having their hands out. So I thought it was very interesting, Jay, that a country which is perceived to be quite corrupt with lots of government officials with their hands out really um, recognized how damaging that perception is, indeed that direct corruption is, to the country's economic benefit and uh, have taken steps to do it. So uh, another way to look at it is a demand side response to, uh, to bribery and corruption. Yeah, it's um – you know, it's, it's it's you wouldn't normally think that that solution would come out of uh, a place with such a high uh, CPI score. So it'll be interesting to see uh, if there are other uh, you know regions like that that uh, can that consider a similar uh, response. Well, Jay, I have to uh, to note for our, our listeners uh, that the Houston Astros are leading the American League, although I still think it's an abomination we're in the American League. Nevertheless, uh, we that is where we are stuck. But we have the best record in uh, the American League. Until last night, we had the best record in baseball, um, uh, but still leading the American League, both pitching and hitting. Uh, we uh, won three out of four games from our arch rival, the Texas Rangers, um, in the uh, first half of the Lone Star Boot uh series between the uh, Astros and Rangers this year. So uh, always good to beat the Rangers and certainly good to be in uh, uh, first place. I, I will have to admit that I've not heard a lot coming out of uh, New England about the Red Sox. Any thoughts on uh, where they might be about now? Well, uh, you probably don't hear much from New England because there's uh, not much to be saying about them right now. But if you listen to uh, – Buck Showalter and his uh, Baltimore Orioles, which are uh, in second place behind the Yankees, which is even more surprising. Um, uh, he's kind of characterized the uh, Red Sox as uh, belly whiners who are really, uh, you know, they got the flu and they can't play baseball. Um, I, I think the East is uh, shaping up to be very interesting. Uh, it's nice to see this division be competitive. Um, when you look at it, Baltimore actually has the most wins in the four-year period. Uh, so um, the Yankees uh, have a great closer. They have this guy who is like what six foot eight, who's swatting homers every other day. So uh, until the Sox uh, get over the flu, get everybody out in the field, and get their pitching in shape, uh, there's really not much to say. So um, 
all I can say is I'm I'm thankful it's May 4th and not July 4th. So uh, hopefully they can get their act together in the next month or so. You know, there uh, the the recent series uh, the series that was recently concluded between those two teams. Uh, there certainly appeared to be some bad blood, uh, so so much to the point that the the commissioner actually got involved and, and told everybody to to calm it down. And my first thought was, I guess he wasn't watching baseball the last decade, was he? Um, seemed like to me there were some games where uh, people didn't throw at their heads; they uh, they threw at their eyeballs. And uh, I can think of a few uh, um, times where the Yankees and the Red Sox. Uh, probably needed to suit up with some football pads just to go out on the field against each other. And uh, so um, it, it was even um, more crazy. I think that the real feud for several years ago was uh, when they were still known as the devil rays, but there was stuff that went on for two or three years. And it's uh, those unwritten rules of baseball are, are very interesting that, I mean, this game is, change so much with the way athletes prepare and the supplements they can take. But it's very interesting that the, uh, the codes still exist from probably what a hundred, 150 years ago that if you hit a Homer and if you take a couple minutes to not minutes, rather you take a couple seconds to admire your handiwork or you do a bat flip. Uh, I don't understand why that necessarily, uh, uh, determines that you're going to get beamed in the hip the next time up. But uh, whoever came up with these uh, unwritten rules, maybe that's one of the first places to start to police baseball. And Jay, and the other sporting news of the week is that the uh, Houston Rockets and San Antonio Spurs are locked in a, looks like it's going to be a pretty good uh, series in the uh, uh, conference semifinals here in the West in the NBA. But uh, Tony Parker had a pretty horrific injury I think uh, tearing a thigh muscle, literally off the uh, quad, off the bone, and he's out for uh, not just a series, but uh, four to eight months at least. Um, that Oof. I think is going to change pretty dramatically. Uh, Parker being the uh, point guard and spark plug of the Spurs, and uh, could uh, really significantly change the series. Now I re- recognize you're in Los Angeles and. Really, never heard you speak a whole lot about uh, the NBA. Uh, you know, perhaps uh, you have a little more love for the Celtics than you've ever let on. But uh, here in Houston, and certainly in the state of Texas, uh, people are following this series pretty closely. Uh, anyone who might win this series is still going to have to go through Golden State, and that may be well nigh impossible. But uh, the Rockets under Mike D'Antoni have really put together a uh, a strategy and built a team around. Uh, shooting, 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 and then shooting some more, uh, particularly shooting threes, uh, whether that gives them a puncher's chance uh, if they get through uh, San Antonio on the way to Golden State. It's uh, only to be seen, but um, uh, things are looking uh, uh, interesting here in uh, our Texas playoff series. It's nice for you to have a little baseball rivalry, rivalry, a football rivalry, and, and now an active NBA rivalry. Uh, you're, you're right about uh, basketball here in L.A. When I moved out here in 87, I was still uh, bleeding green Celtics blood and uh, McHale and the Chief. But, uh, you know, with the exception of the run three or four years ago, um, the Celtics have not really been top of mind. But I think one thing that – uh, you know, merit some um, attention is uh, 
I believe is it Isaiah Thomas, the Celtics point guard that has been incredible over the past couple of weeks. He lost his sister who passed away. And uh, when he's been on the court, he's really been able to uh, focus uh, doing some work to keep his team competitive, to help them win a game seven and to honor his sister. So I think that shows some of the um, healing power of sports. You know, absolutely. He um, he really has uh, put together just a fabulous series, and it's going to be. Uh, I think it's going to be a great series. I think uh, Washington with John Wall and Bradley Beal are going to be um, uh, get get competitive. They uh, brought it back to two one last night. So, uh, although the Celtics slash Bullets or excuse me Wizards, um, sorry to go all retro there on you. Um, Still, I have the biggest uh, problem of all because how do you get through King James and the Cleveland Cavaliers? But getting there, uh, you don't have a chance to win in the conference finals unless you're there. So uh, good luck to your uh, Brad Stephen-led Celtics and Isaiah Thomas. Hopefully the uh, the Rockets can prevail and at least have a puncher's chance against um, Golden State, but it's going to be interesting to see where it goes. So, Jay, uh, so- go ahead. I was going to say, uh, what airline are you flying on next week and where are you going? Actually, I'm at home next week. So uh, it's my one week to be at home in the month of May. And uh, third week of May, I'm, of course, at Philadelphia in Philadelphia, putting on a conference uh, on uh, Tuesday, May 16th with uh, Jonathan Marks, a partner in Markham. And uh, we're going to talk about operationalization for uh, of compliance programs, largely for internal auditors. Uh, and chief financial uh, officers. So uh, we will. I'll, I'll link to that um, in our show notes. If you're in Philadelphia and you'd like to uh, attend, uh, then then I'm speaking at a pharmaceutical conference with Ben Lockwin. We're going to take a look at some uh, uh, risk management issues, the risk management process, forecasting, risk assessment, and risk management going forward. Then the final week of uh, the month, I'm up uh, back for Compliance Week 2017. As I indicated, that I'm. Uh, I'm going to chair a panel with uh, Kara Brockmeyer and Rune McEachern. I'm also on a panel uh, where we're going to talk about um, what the year of 2017 and the new administration have brought for uh, ethics and compliance officers um, on a panel with Joe Mount and Bill Coffin from Compliance Week. I'm going to take a look at it from kind of the FCPA compliance regulatory angle. So if uh, you can attend one of those conferences, I hope you will. And uh, as always, uh, until I change, I'm going to be flying on United, hoping hoping they're going to ask to uh, to bump me and I can get a $10,000 um, award uh, or at least a recompense to be a reaccommodated. So uh, we live in hope. So uh, when you're in Philly, are you planning to go Geno's or Pat's? You know, uh, I have told Mr. Marks that uh, I am a wing aficionado. So I want to have uh, some buffalo wings in Philadelphia to see if they can cook a proper wing there. Oh, I was saying that there's the age-old battle between these two cheesesteak places yeah genos and pats and some but you're you're just interested only in the wings well i have not had wings in philadelphia so i think i'm going to try to make that okay. uh, exploration this time and uh just a, a quick thing what what do you think about all the uh belly aching of those uh were, were they congressmen who were uh dressing down the airline industry the other day were those congressmen or senators um 
Seems like, uh, you know, I can't remember. I think it was a House panel, but maybe it was. No, I think it was senators. Well, um, you know, the airline industry really has a huge public relation problem, largely of their own making. And um, but uh, I do want to give United uh, a little bit of shout out because I think they moved quickly after their initial foobars around um, the uh, passenger dragging off a plane incident. They have uh, modified their internal controls uh, to hopefully prevent that situation coming up again. They have changed the protocols so that uh, they will not bump uh, passengers, paying passengers for non-revenue staff members and employees uh, to fly without uh, some formal notification process. They will not bump or throw passengers off a plane after they've been seated. Uh, Gate agents now have more authority to try to entice people to be reaccommodated. Uh, and they've settled a, what could have been a very nasty lawsuit with the, uh, the passenger who was uh, physically dragged off the plane. Um, one of the things that uh, intrigued me, Jay, was there's an article in yesterday's New York Times about a situation that happened in uh, Atlanta around Delta Airlines where uh, literally the entire system went down. Uh, we all thought it was really weather-related, and that was was the issue, but it turned out that Delta was not able to accommodate their own employees who uh, could not get uh, around information of where they needed to go and what they needed to do. So as something as simple as a phone call-in system crashed for uh, Delta, and they could not communicate with their own employees to redirect their assets uh, to try to stem a, a series of thunderstorms that went across the south, south, southeast, and east coast uh, over a series of days in early April. Um, so it really pointed up that, uh, you've got to consider your risks. So for an airline industry, they might think their risks are weather related, uh, pro- properly. So they might think their risks are, uh, customers, customer facing and reputational properly. So, but when was the last time you considered how your employees communicate to you internally a crisis, whether that crisis be a 9-11 type crisis, whether that crisis be a weather-related crisis, whether that be any other number of crises. And probably that's not been high on uh, uh, companies' lists uh, as a risk to assess and manage, but it pointed out that uh, you've really got to think through the process of um, your or your business process is literally that uh, a process. And the same as compliance. Compliance is a process. So you need to uh, go through and assess each step of your compliance program, see if there's, um, first of all, test it, and then see if there's uh, something missing that uh, you could uh, try to manage that risk uh, before uh, that risk uh, really comes to the fore and your entire system crashes. So um, interesting uh, uh, news from the airline industry continues. Yeah, So, but, but that risk you're talking about there, Tom, is not a frontline risk where United could have done better, but that's actually a systemic risk, right? That they are so reliant on either technology or different ways to communicate that when it came down to this one situation, they really didn't have a way to uh, handle it probably because it was just on such a massive level of people they needed to loop back in. Right, right. 
So uh, coming from the Gulf Coast, where we have uh, hurricanes from time to time, uh, people tend to think about those things a little bit more. What are all of the implications of a catastrophic storm? And um, how are you going to communicate with your, your employees? So one time at Halliburton, for instance, I was instructed to, uh, to prepare a crisis response to a hurricane that was heading towards Houston for the, from the law department's perspective. And the first thing I had to do was get contact information. And when I went to people to get that, they, of course, gave me their cell phone. I'm like, well, you know, that's not going to work if your cell phone is out or the cell phone towers. And so then they would give me their spouses. Uh, I said, well, you know, they're probably going to be with you. Uh, what about your parents? What about your children? What about a relative? What about a close friend? How do you get in contact with someone during a true emergency if they're in the same geographic area with you where the emergencies occurred? Um, and it took people a while to really even to uh, for that light to go off in their head that, you know, I may have to give the name of an uncle who lives in Oklahoma, Colorado, or New Mexico, and is not going to be affected by this hurricane. And that means I'm going to have to get in contact with him, uh, you know, to let him know or her know that I'm okay, and they can get that information to the rest of the family. So um, interesting way to have to look at things. Yeah, well, it, it really does. Um, it just shows you how, how broad-reaching all these subject matters are. And although, you know, in name we're speaking about this week in the FCPA, uh, there are so many examples that we see that are newsworthy or, or so many lessons that we can draw out of current events. So uh, as always, Tom, it's uh, it's great to speak with you on a Friday. You want to take us on home? No, I'm going to let you do that. You're the uh, you're the take. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm the closer. They, yeah. they got to play uh, my, my closers music in the background. You need to get so a on behalf together for that. And I'll put that in when you give us the closing. So uh, talk to <laughs> Willie and Michaela about the theme that you want to have. Okay. Uh, yeah, I, I will. Uh, I will consult with my executive producers. So on behalf of Tom Fox, the compliance evangelist, this is Jay Rosen, Mr. Monitor, to thank you for joining us for this week in FCPA as we take a look at all the happenings for the week ending May 5th. Thanks so much for joining us and take care. This is Tom Fox again. I'd like to thank you for listening to this episode of This Week in FCPA. If you have listened to this podcast on iTunes, I would greatly appreciate it if you would rate us. It would certainly help our rankings and also get out the word about the only weekly podcast which relates FCPA compliance and ethics issues that's currently on the market. Also, if you have any questions, please feel free to email me at tfox at tfoxlaw.com and Jay Rosen at jrosen at affiliatedmonitors.com. This is Tom Fox. Thank you very much for listening, and I hope you'll join us again next week for another episode of This Week in FCPA. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>